Good evening, everybody.、Um, thank you very much for introduction, Brands. So, my name is Tomoki Sekiguchi. I'm from、uh, Osaka University. So, I know that the Tokyo is very hot, but it's better than Osaka. Osaka is maybe、uh, two or three degrees higher than here, so I'm happy to be here. <laughs> okay, so today I'd like to uh, talk about uh, uh, the first I'd like to talk about、uh, the in general internationalization of Japanese farm in terms of、uh, human resource management. And then、uh, later we, I'd like to、uh, talk more focusing on uh, uh, internal internationalization, so meaning that the internationalization of、uh, domestic. Uh, situation in Japanese farm, especially focusing on the experience of foreign workers. Okay, so I have been、uh, studying several、uh, things in、uh, international human resource management, and recently I pub we published papers and also a book. And the co authored with、uh, Chie Iguchi, actually, sitting, she's sitting here uh, from uh, uh, Keio University. So,、uh, th this is actually、uh, the more academic paper、uh, reviewing the recent、uh, trend of Japanese farms in terms of、uh, internationalization of HRM.、Uh, so, it is、uh, downloadable for limited uh, person, uh, people、uh, who are members of the、uh, SAM Academy. But this book is actually available for every, everyone. So, this is、uh, more about the general. Uh, book uh, in order to educate uh, Japanese uh, students uh, about international human resource management. So I、uh, request you to purchase it if you can read Japanese languages. This is the major motivation for me to come <laughs> to advise <laughs> this book. <laughs> All right, so this is just joking. And uh, so, um, as you may know, that the、uh, Japanese firms actually have several issues、uh, in terms of internationalization. So,、uh, many people say that、uh, Japanese firms are very、uh, successful、uh, in internationalization of production and、uh, operation management,、uh, such as、uh, manufacturing and also logistics or worldwide. However,、uh, it is also said that uh, it, uh, they are not successful, very successful in internationalization of management. Such as RD or innovation or marketing, especially human resource management. Okay, so,、uh, however, you know, internationalization of HRM should also be promoted because、uh, there is a talent shortage due to the aging and shrinking population in Japan. So,、uh, Japanese firms cannot rely heavily on the Japanese uh, employees uh, in the future, probably. And、uh, also, main customers no longer located in the home market. But a、uh, major source of revenues,、uh, profit might be found abroad. So,、uh, the company needs to have、uh, excellent talent for really knowledgeable about the foreign market. And MNCs also need to integrate foreign subsidiaries into、uh, global networks in order to、uh, you know, meet their customers' needs, which is it's, it's becoming very complex nowadays. So,、uh, many actually people.、Uh, Actually, propose that Japanese firms should internationalize their HRM, meaning that、uh, they have to change、uh, their traditional Japanese HRM, which is、uh, you know, described in the、uh, you know, left side.、Uh, so,、uh, international HRM on Japanese farms have been、uh, described as ethnocentric, meaning that、uh, the Japanese employees and the foreign employees actually are separated in their division of roles. 
And Japanese managers actually、uh, positioned in core management activities,、uh, either in a home market or、uh, foreign operations. And foreign or non Japanese managers are positioned in the peripheral areas. So there might be some reason. It is because a Japanese firm accumulated their、uh, core competencies, also、uh, competitive advantage in the home market. So they、uh, want to rely、uh, on the employee who really k n o w about Japanese,、uh, Japanese uh, situation and also the,、uh, the company. Because Japanese firms actually try to、uh, develop people from a long term perspective. So many people actually stay in the same company for a long time, like 10 years, 20 years. So they really rely on this kind of personnel to uh, manage uh, even foreign operations. However,、uh, in the future or in our current situation,、uh, many people say that、uh, Japanese firms also uh, shift uh, their focus on more from a centric to the、uh, Polycentric or region centric,、uh, geocentric, meaning that、uh, they have to or they should diminish the boundary between Japanese and non Japanese employees,、uh, both in the、uh, Japanese headquarters and foreign subsidiaries, meaning that、uh, you know, in a polycentric approach,、uh, maybe Japanese firms、uh, should delegate their、uh, operation of local subsidiaries to local staff, and also、uh, in a geocentric or Region-centric approach,、uh, they have to find and also position the、uh, right person to the right uh, place, uh, regardless of the nationality, which is a kind of ideal case of global integration. So, this is the reason because、uh, global integration and the local responsiveness、uh, is necessary uh, for uh, even Japanese firms to compete in a global marketplace. So, you know, if we、uh, summarize the major issues for Japanese firms to internationalize HRM, we can divide,、uh, roughly divide it into two、um, different topics. One is the internal internationalization, which is、uh, called Uchinaru Kokusai Kai in Japanese. So, internationalization at home, such as Japanese headquarters and other domestic affiliates,、uh, should be internationalized because、uh, they need more talent,、uh, non Japanese. So, an、uh, example might be the promotion of diversity and multiculturalism,、uh, which is the major topic of today's、uh, presentation. And another、uh, topic is、uh, ex external internationalization, meaning that、uh, advancing HRM, IHRM and the foreign subsidiaries, such as、uh, integration, increasing integration、uh, between foreign subsidiaries and also uh, increasing uh, local responsiveness、uh, in terms of human resources. But、uh, these two topics should be interrelated. Also, the company should、uh, pursue、uh, both、uh, in a coherent way in order to achieve the more effective、uh, global operation. So, uh, so if, you know, even if、uh, many people、uh, argue that Japanese、uh, firms should internationalize both internal and external HRM, but、uh, many of you may think that Japanese firms are really slow. Or even hesitate to、uh, internationalize the HRM. So, we、uh, thought, what is the reason? And we classify、uh, the Japanese firms、uh, using、uh, two dimensions. So, so, this is the framework. And、uh, the conclusion might be the major majority of the large、uh, firms might be falling to the uh, right, uh, lower left, lower right、uh, part. So, meaning so this one. So, we divide companies、uh, with two dimensions. This is、uh, the degree of past dependence, meaning that、uh, you know, companies' HRM is actually developed from a historical path. 
So if company is pretty old, so the their HRM is developed uh, through a long term, uh, long time. So it might be very difficult to change, even though they want to. So this is called path dependence, and the second uh, dimension is competitive advantage of Japanese HRM. So it is uh, mean it means that uh, whether the Japanese style HRM is really the source of competitive advantage, or whether they believe the company believe that their HRM, which is uh, related to the Japanese style, might be the source of competitive advantage. So if uh, both of these dimensions is high, we predict that the, uh, they are very slow in terms of internationalization of HRM, both in home and foreign operations. So we anticipate, or we think that uh, you know, majority of a large Japanese firms, especially they are old, uh, big and uh, manufacturing based, may be foreign to this cell. Uh, However, some companies are really aggressive uh, and uh, radical in internationalization of HRM. It might be because they are pretty young, and so they don't have to stick with the old Japanese-style HRM in order to uh, create effective HRM system. Also, they don't believe that the Japanese-style HRM is not necessarily the uh, competitive advantage of their business. So if they think that uh, you know, uh, they have to change or they have to create a relatively new style HRM, probably uh, they are more aggressive or drastic in internationalization of HRM, such as recruiting more non-Japanese employees, uh, implementing a language policy like uh, English uh, language as a corporate official languages or something like that. Okay, and uh, some other company might be foreign uh, somewhere between. All right, so uh, so we like to focus on uh, our major topic, like uh, internal internationalization of Japanese workplace. So major issues is like a traditional Japanese HRM, as you may know, like uh, long-term employment, uh, seniority-based systems, or slow promotion, something like that, might be something uh, incompatible with uh, the global trend of HRM. So that might be some uh, obstacles for Japanese to internationalize HRM. And uh, homogeneity of Japanese society uh, creates uh, some insider and outsider, like uh, uchi and soto. So this kind of uh, distinction might uh, also affect the workplace. <coughs> and language and high context culture are the cause communication problems. So many Japanese people are not good at speaking English, and uh, also uh, many people uh, not really use uh, very clear, you know, linguistic language uh, messages. So many people have to read the air. So kuki o yomanai to ikenai. So so many uh, foreign people are thought to be kuki uh, yomenai. So they cannot uh, read between lines. So it is pretty difficult for foreign peoples to understand Japanese way of communication. This is also the major issues. <coughs> and however, so uh, many companies actually try to uh, uh, overcome uh, this kind of difficulty uh, to increase the internationalization of home uh, headquarters. So one of the one of the trends is like increasing the hire of non-Japanese employees in Japanese headquarters, especially uh, they are looking for uh, people who studied in Japanese universities as international students. 
And also, there is a word, global jinzai, uh, which is uh, kind of the uh, buzz phrase, uh, especially from uh, 2010, 2008, 2010, until now. So many uh, you know, business press or newspapers, journals, uh, you know, features some topics of like uh, English study or you know, uh, education of internationalization or something like that. So uh, there is also the kind of fads or trend of internationalization of HRM. And uh, some companies are uh, uh, you know, making efforts to uh, support language learning uh, for uh, you know, uh, Japanese people especially. Uh, so not only English, but also other languages such as Chinese. So, uh, so you may know that some companies officially announced the uh, English as a corporate uh, official a language such as Rakuten, so which is called uh, Englishization or Englishization. So these trends are so actually uh, maybe related to the trend of external internationalization, such as uh, localization of for some series, utilization of bridge individuals, meaning that uh, these individuals can speak several languages, understand different cultures, then uh, they can bridge between uh, subsidiary and uh, headquarters also uh, within subsidiaries between Japanese and non-Japanese. And training uh, development through uh, impatriation, meaning that uh, some Japanese companies uh, invited uh, uh, foreign people uh, working in foreign subsidiaries uh, for you know, several months uh, to uh, one year, two years, uh, in order to train them, uh, to teach uh, companies uh, philosophy or something. And then uh, such people may go back to their own uh, home countries to teach their culture uh, or you know, the operation and knowledge. So these kind of things are also uh, the trend. Okay, so uh, in order to understand the uh, more about the current situation of Japanese uh, internal internationalization, uh, so we are conducting several studies. And the uh, one of the studies that is actually conducted by my former PhD student is uh, more like a case study of Japanese firms. So the, uh, he asks uh, five uh, I forgot the number, but several uh, Japanese firms uh, about the uh, current situation of including uh, uh, non-Japanese employees. So the major findings that uh, all companies uh, they interviewed, he interviewed, promote inclusion, try to include foreign employees, meaning that the increasing number of foreign people you know, in their uh, workforce, and then try to accommodate or include uh, their, them uh, in their major uh, jobs. However, uh, all company, most of, most of the companies say that they do not change the fundamental Japanese HR practices. So they just maintain the same HR practices, and then they increase the number of international students. So what might be the problem? Um, so foreign employees and interviewed generally have very positive attitude about uh, Japanese-style HRM. So basically, they actually uh, like Japanese HRM. They like Japanese companies. Maybe because uh, they are really socialized to Japanese context. So I would say that uh, these uh, non-Japanese people are more like Japanese than real Japanese. They speak Japanese very frequently, very fluently. They write really polite uh, you know, sentences. And also, they really understand uh, their communication uh, pattern or something. So, so we don't know whether this is really good or not for Japanese farms to increase diversity and something like that. Uh, 
And, and this study is actually the major uh, one uh, I want to discuss uh, about the rest of the time. So study two. Uh, so uh, my, my uh, major is like organizational behavior. So my uh, research is basically uh, using surveys or experiment and the measure some uh, constructs uh, quantitatively uh, to test the hypothesis developed from theoretical foundations. <coughs> so background, uh, so as I told you that a uh, growing number of Japanese companies are now hiring foreign employees. However, there might be some problems like a uh, high level of turnover actually among Japanese uh, foreign employees compared to Japanese people. And foreign employees seems to have a less chance to show their teamwork. There may be some problems in working with Japanese colleagues in teams. However, we still don't know much about foreign employees experience in Japan, so that is the uh, major motivation uh, to conduct some research. So the purpose of research is to understand factors that contribute to retaining foreign employees and supporting them to work effectively in teams. So um, the characteristics of a Japanese HRM, such as long-term employment, uh, seniority-based compensation, promotion, job rotation practices, team-based work might cause the uh, characteristics of Japanese workplace such as very stable, so membership change not doesn't occur so frequently, and uh, that, uh, because of that, uh, the membership is very closed. And also, uh, there are a lot of active interaction among team members in daily job. And uh, the, their roles are not really strictly determined. The job and roles are very fluid and flexible, and they can change uh, based on the environmental change or something like that. So, uh, Japanese workplace is characterized as having high context culture because of such characteristics, and also use uh, ambiguous communication. So, in that situation, the interpersonal relationship with coworker is very important in order to work effectively in Japanese firms. However, uh, foreign employees may be a little bit isolated and have uh, difficulties because of the communication patterns. And because of that, uh, they may have some difficulties in work effectively in teams with Japanese colleagues. So if it is very serious, they may be demotivated to stay in a workplace and uh, unwilling to help coworkers. So uh, our hi first hypothesis is that uh, foreign employees who have a low quality relationship with their coworkers, so which we called uh, TMX or team member exchange in uh, academic terms, uh, will have a high degree of uh, intention to quit and a low degree of helping coworkers. So this is the first prediction we set. And uh, the second topic is the role of perceived discrimination. This is not the uh, objective sense in discrimination, but uh, we are talking about whether foreign people feel that they are discriminated in the workplace. So Japanese society and organization, which is a very common problem uh, according to many research 
uh, reports that uh, you know Japanese society is, is very high in terms of group cohesiveness, also in group orientation such as insiders, outsider distinction. So uh, discrimination might be the common problem uh, for foreigners regardless of their workplace or in their uh, society community. So uh, perceived discrimination might be something that we have to understand really deeply. So foreign employee may think that discrimination might be the main reason of the low quality relationship with their coworkers. Meaning that if the relationship between Japanese coworker is not really good, so foreign people may attribute such bad relationship to uh, the discrimination. So this is a second prediction that foreign employees who have a low quality relationship with their co-workers are more likely to perceive discrimination. And in general, discrimination might increase, increase uh, intention to quit and decrease teamwork. So the third hypothesis is like foreign employees who perceive discrimination will have a high level of intention to quit and a lower level of helping behavior. So, you know, integrating these two hy uh, three hypotheses, we created some framework that the perceived discrimination will mediate uh, the between the relationship between Japanese co-workers and intention to quit and uh, helping behaviors, such that if uh, the relationship with co-worker is bad, low, the foreign people may think that it is because uh, they are discriminated then such perception might uh, cause uh, their intention to quit or less frequent uh, in helping behaviors. And we also uh, propose that uh, you know, uh, the relationship with co-workers directly uh, influence both intention to quit and helping behaviors. Now, now we want to include more uh, boundary conditions of this framework. So first, a moderator is a workplace diversity. <coughs> so uh, stable and close characteristics of Japanese workplace is, is mean, meaning means that uh, it, the many Japanese workplace has a low level of diversity, very homogeneous. So if foreign employees work in very homogeneous and less diverse uh, workplace, they may feel more isolated and more likely to attribute the reason of the low quality relationship with their co-workers to discrimination. So this is the fifth hypothesis, saying that uh, the lower degree of uh, diversity in the workplace, the stronger the relationship between the quality of the relationship with the co-workers and the perceived discrimination. The second uh, moderator is uh, cultural intelligence. So like IQ, intellectual quotient, or emotional uh, intelligence. Cultural intelligence mean, uh, refers to the ability of individual to engage successfully in diverse cultural backgrounds. That is consists of like a metacognitive CQ, the ability to strategize, strategize when crossing cultures, cognitive, the level of such as level of understanding about cultures, motivational, the level of interest, drive, or energy to adapt cross-culturally, behavior, meaning that ability to appropriately 
uh, act in range of cross-cultural situations. So we hypothesize that if foreign employees have a high, a high in CQ, cultural intelligence, they think they are confident in understanding uh, the culture, Japanese culture, or Japanese workplace. So, you know, foreign employees who are high in CQ tend to attribute the reason of the low quality relationship with their co-workers not to their own inability to adapt in Japanese workplace, but to the discrimination in the Japanese workplace. So they tend to attribute, not to their own ability to adjust, but uh, the discrimination from uh, Japanese co-workers. So we predict that the higher the CQ of foreign employees, the stronger the relationship between the quality of the relationship with their co-workers and the passive uh, discrimination. And another, still another uh, moderator we uh, consider is the community embeddedness. Community embeddedness meaning, means that the degree to which people are embedded in their community, not workplace, but their living place. So there are three in, uh, indicators of community embeddedness. One is a link with the other people in the community, like uh, you know, neighbor people, uh, friends, and uh, the fit with the community values and the sacrifice if they leave the community. So basically, it is the indicator that they want to leave because they want to lose many things if they relocate, or they like this community, or they have a lot of network within the community. So foreign employees, for foreign employees, the degree to which they are embedded in the community may affect the experience they have in the workplace such that the community embeddedness might have a buffering effect, such that the foreign employees who have a high level of perceived discrimination will not abruptly think that about leaving or reducing helping behavior because they, want to, they don't want to leave their community you know, by changing jobs or leaving company. So the hypothesis might be the higher the foreign employees in embeddedness in the community, the weaker the relationship between the passive discrimination and the intention to quit and helping behavior. So the you know we added the moderator variables uh, into the uh, the basic mediation model. So this is the you know uh, the final model we tested uh, using a survey. Okay, so we conducted survey. Actually, this uh, study is conducted by my former master students, uh, Yasukawa san. So she's actually coming today. <laughs> and uh, so I, I'm just uh, stealing <laughs> her uh, research. But uh, so we, we, we write a paper together. So Sampo is foreign employees working uh, full time in Japan. And we collected Sampo through the uh, Yasukawa-san's actually, uh, the acquaintance, friends of friends, uh, try to find as many uh, participants as possible. And we also used uh, SNS. Uh, called uh, Internations, where uh, many foreign people actually is a member, a member of this community. And the sample size is uh, 77, uh, so we got uh, uh, 92, but uh, several, several answers are not usable, so the final sample size is 77. So we actually uh, measured uh, the key construct using the scale that is already used, and uh, we have uh, scales that is uh, really reliable and valid based on the past research. So 
we think there's no problems in measuring major construct. So this is complex. Just I like to skip at the summary is that uh, TMX has uh, significant correlations with the intention to quit and helping behavior. So meaning that if uh, foreign employees have a low level of uh, team member exchanges, they are more likely to think they want to quit or they uh, reduce helping behavior. The correlation between passive discrimination and helping behavior is not significant, so we cannot support hypothesis two. <coughs> okay, so we conducted some regression analysis to, to test our hypothesis, and this is the conclusion. Uh, the first hypothesis that uh, foreign employees who have a low quality relationship with their coworkers will have a high degree of intention to quit and low degree of helping behavior. This is supported. And second hypothesis is not supported, uh, meaning that uh, foreign employees who have a low quality relationship with their coworkers are more likely to perceive discrimination. So we didn't have a direct relationship between the team member exchange and the perceived discrimination. However, uh, foreign employees who perceive discrimination will have a high degree of intention to quit. This is partially supported. And uh, because of the uh, no direct relationship between uh, no TMX and discrimination, we didn't support the mediation hypothesis. So next, we conducted the moderation analysis, which is uh, in order to test the uh, later hypothesis of the moderation. And this is the results. So hypothesis five is supported. So if you look at the uh, graph, the uh, dotted line is uh, the people uh, working in a high diversity uh, workplace. And the solid line represents the people who are foreign people, foreign workers who are in a low diversity, more homogeneous uh, workplace. So if you know, uh, TMX, team member exchange, is low. The people only working as homogeneous workplace feel more discriminated. So this is some, you know, uh, this is a kind of a supportive of uh, hypothesis five. The lower the degree of diversity in the workplace, the stronger the relationship between the quality of the relationship with their coworkers and the passive discrimination. And uh, the moderated effect of cultural intelligence is also supported. <coughs> so the dotted line represents people with a high uh, cultural intelligence. So if uh, cultural intelligence high is high, the lower the uh, relationship between coworkers, the higher uh, perceived disc discrimination. So only for people who have a uh, high cultural intelligence. And this is the final uh, results about the community embeddedness. So this is also supported. So in terms of intention to quit and the helping behavior. Uh, the dotted line is uh, people with high community embeddedness. So it means that if foreign employees who are high, highly embedded in the community, so discrimination doesn't necessarily increase intention to quit. However, uh, those who are less commit embedded in the community, the perceived discrimination is directly 
related to uh, intention to quit. The same can be said uh, in uh, teamwork, helping behaviors. If uh, people are highly committed, uh, com uh, embedded, embedded in a community, uh, discrimination <coughs> uh, is not, you know, affect the reducing level of turnover, uh, helping behavior. But, you know, if uh, community embeddedness is uh, low, uh, discrimination is ca causes the uh, re reduction of a healthy behavior. So uh, this is the final results. So red line is actually uh, supported. So we, we can say that uh, you know, diversity and the cultural intelligence might be the important moderator of the between like a, a relationship with his coworkers and passive discrimination. You know, relationship between coworkers might cause perception of discrimination if diversity of workplace is low and if uh, the cultural intelligence of the employee is high. And then passive discrimination might cause uh, intention to quit and helping behavior, but this effect might be mitigated by the level of embeddedness by their community. This is a major result. So from the results, we can have some practical implications such that organizations should carefully monitor the interpersonal relationship with the coworkers and perceive discrimination when hiring foreign employees, especially employees who are high in cultural intelligence. And increasing diversity might mitigate the negative effect of the low quality relationship with coworkers on perception of discrimination. And organizations can help foreign employees to be embedded in the community. So meaning that uh, Japanese company or Japanese workers might not only uh, help uh, employees in the workplace, but also help them in their community or living place. Of course, uh, this uh, study has several limitations, such as uh, so we only have small sample size. The major uh, survey is actually self-report and cross-sectional and there might be some uh, you know, biases in the results. And only foreign employees is targeted in the survey, so there is no comparison between foreign employees and Japanese employees. If there it might be comparison, I think uh, it would be better to understand. Okay, so as a future research, it doesn't change. Okay. The future research, uh, so more sample, of foreign employees are definitely needed. So I want to ask you to help us to uh, increase the sample size, or you know, we, we are conducting another survey which is more sophisticated and I try to find uh, good samples to understand the foreign employees more deeply. So we want to include several different variables that is not studied in the current project, such as climate for inclusion. So inclusion climate might be an important key variable that company uh, in to understand the uh, foreign employees. And also, uh, not only Japanese, but also foreign employees really care about work-life balance or family-friendly practices by you know, companies. And of course, uh, the characteristics of work and job, ca uh, job is, uh, themselves might be very important factors 
and organizational socialization tactics, uh, mentoring or coaching, leadership uh, things, and organizational identification, commitment, loyalty, because we know that Japanese uh, people are relatively high in terms of loyalty, but we don't really know about the foreign employees. Uh, in terms of their commitment or loyalty. And idiosyncratic deals, meaning that uh, some Japanese firms actually have a special treatment of foreign employees because uh, they may claim something or they think that foreign employees cannot work very effectively in some you know, roles. So we want to know the effect of such special treatment on perception of fairness, perception of discrimination, among Japanese or among foreign employees. And uh, several skills that foreign employees may have might affect their behavior, such as political skills, language skills, or cultural orientations. And finally, we want to study like a dynamic interaction between Japanese and foreign employees. We still don't know what is the uh, actual you know, interaction occurs in daily workplaces between Japanese and foreign employees. So if we can understand this, probably we can, uh, we can you know, have more knowledge about foreign employees. And uh, of course, uh, more you know, macro, macro level, so we were, were in very interested in what are the best HR practices that promote diversity and inclusion of uh, non-Japanese employees. For example, so, Many people think that the Japanese HRM might have some good things, also have bad things. So what should be abandoned, the what should be retained? And is there possible to hybrid, uh, combine like a Japanese style HRM and uh, different kind of HRM practices like a US one or a Western one? Is specific language policies required to uh, increase the uh, diversity and inclusion in the Japanese workplace? Or is the the utilization of a multicultural employees who, who are like a bilingual or three uh, multicultural is helpful for Japanese firms to you know, increase the uh, diversity and inclusion. All right, so uh, that is the uh, major uh, topic I wanted to discuss, and uh, I also doing some ongoing research. You know, as I told you that uh, there is also the trend that many Japanese firms actually invite foreign employees from overseas subsidiaries. So we are also studying uh, some effect of uh, the practices of uh, impatriation. You know, meaning that uh, you know invite foreign uh, employees from overseas subsidiaries and doing some educational or you know work socialization practices. So we we want to know what kind of factors might be effective. Uh, to uh, transfer like a Japanese company's uh, philosophy or uh, like a culture or knowledge uh, to you know foreign subsidiaries in order to increase the integration as a MNCs as a whole. So this this is just skip of this and uh, thank you very much for listening. Thanks a lot. Um, I'll pass on directly to Henrik for the first comment. Thank you. Um, 
Thank you very much, Professor Sekiguchi, maybe Tomoki. Um, actually, he invited me to present my own research to his students in Osaka recently, and I can say he's not only researching on diversity, he's also managing diversity. Uh, he's got a great, very diverse group of students, and it was a real pleasure uh, to discuss with them. I think it was a small United Nations that was in the room at that time, um, and I was really impressed with that. Um, I've been doing quite similar research, not similar research, but research on a similar topic together with a colleague from Sheffield University, Dr. Harald Conrad. And we've basically, um, because what I've been seeing in Singapore is that our students are increasingly uh, finding work not in Singapore anymore, but in Tokyo. And the question really is, why is that happening? How are they treated here? And maybe what is the quality of their workplaces? Because sometimes we find that in the subsidiaries, in the Japanese subsidiaries in Singapore, I'm in the Japanese studies department, the quality of work is not all that good, and sometimes they quit very quickly. Um, so therefore, we thought, oh, it's a good chance for them to go now to Tokyo and really start the careers uh, together, basically, with the Japanese employees, and then develop in the same way. Um, so what I'll do now is I, I think I'll reinforce a few points uh, that Tomoki has made and maybe bring a little bit in from our own research, if you allow me to do that. And basically, first I want to say how actually that this research on diversity and inclusion is very important. Um, we have to see, say that this whole talking about Japanese companies hiring foreigners, when you talk to Japanese companies, those that do it say, ah, we do it, we see how it goes. Um, even they admit that they are still in the trial stage. Companies who don't do it say it's all a fashion. Um, so we don't really know where we are. Um, but I would say we should take it seriously. Also, when we talk to some researchers, they say this cannot work because Japanese companies are, are really so different. Uh, but I think we should take it seriously as a chance to internationalize headquarters. And then once the headquarters become more international, I guess it's also a chance to, look to, to more localize and to internationalize the human resource management in subsidiaries. And this is what I think really needs to happen. If people in the subsidiaries have more contact points within the headquarter, I think a lot of things can happen in the subsidiaries too. Um, and I think basically talking about diversity in Japan again is something of a fashion at the moment. Um, we've got, when, we when you read the newspaper now, it's LGBT, LGBT. Uh, and this is the big topic now. How can we employ them? How can we provide nice workplaces? And interestingly, it's again not done for larger, maybe value-based reasons, but because they say, ah, they are 7% of the population. We cannot afford to neglect that part for our future labor force. We cannot neg neglect that market. So it's basically done for the business case for diversity. Um, but I think what we need is a real study of diversity and inclusion that goes much deeper. And I think this is what Tomoki has shown, how, how this can be done and how we can also get maybe some more factual numbers here. Because at the, most, at the moment, diversity is automatically seen as positive. However, diversity also can come with costs. And no one is really talking about that at the moment. Um, we see a lot of stereotyping of the foreign employees. Every foreign employee is considered as the same. However, as we've seen, we need a recognition of differences in the companies. Um, we saw in Tomoki's presentation that some people just are able to deal better with a with a foreign situation in the workplace. Right? That's the cultural intelligence. Um, we see these calls for drastic change. We say if we want to integrate foreigners into the workplace, we have to change everything in the Japanese company. However, we also need to consider how gradual selective change can be done. And I think based on the frameworks of diversity, we can talk about this. Um, then we see 
that Japanese companies often want to apply a radically equal treatment to every young employee. And really, they're equal. Every new employee that comes into a Japanese company is considered as being equal. But they are really not. And then the main problem that Japanese companies at the moment is how to justify differentiation among young employees. It's a main major issue for Japanese companies. I think in companies overseas have been dealing with that. They say some employees are disadvantaged in that area, some others might be disadvantaged here, some might be advantaged here. And from that, of course, you can justify differentiation in treatment. Japanese companies don't really know how to do that at this point. And I think, again, this can come from the discussion on diversity and inclusion. Finally, I think it's important because the ethical implications, what we see, these are basically our students, right? This is your students, this is my students from Singapore, and what they are basically thrown into at the moment is a trial and error situation. If we did that in the university, we would have to fill in an ethical requirement form, actually, and we would probably not get permission to do that in the university, to do something like that, throw very young people into a setting that is basically unknown to them that might not be the most friendly setting. So we might not even get permission to do any experiment like that. But that is actually done in the companies at the moment. It's young, very inexperienced students that are coming into quite tough settings sometimes. And we don't really know about the psychological consequences in the long run. So I think as researchers and teachers, we should have an interest that these people are treated well and that companies come up with good treatment of them. So I think this is why this, is why this research is really very important. Um, just wanted to say, to ask about one thing. So perceived discrimination over all is quite low, right? The 1.75, the scale goes to 5, right? 5 would be very high. Yeah, this is actually quite interesting because while this image of Japanese companies is there, that actually, yeah, they would discriminate, the actual perception of discrimination, I don't know the scale here, seems to be very low, right? Only 1.75 as a mean here. Uh, I think this is a quite a significant result um, if you only use the simple statistics here. So overall, there's a lot of perception of discrimination, and that's actually similar to what we found in our interviews with foreign employees. We interviewed about 35 foreign employees, and basically none of them mentioned any open discrimination. So that's quite interesting. That was really quite significant to us. Um, what is important is the employment status, whether you're a part-timer, a dispatch worker, but all these are basically young, um, I, th I would say, yeah, young, freshly re from university recruited employees, and as such, the, and Seishain, right, regular employees. So this is what the companies seem to regard them at. We haven't reached, in many cases, the point of promotion, right? We also see that the average tenure is still relatively low. And I think this will be the point, and maybe foreign employees start to talk a little bit more about discrimination and whether they can really judge how much discrimination there is. But we haven't really reached that point because these programs haven't been in place very long. Um, so I think at the moment the emphasis for many of these employees that were probably interviewed is on equal and non-differentiated treatment, which can actually be a problem. I've got one employee voice for you. He says, the good side is there's no discrimination you're like, you are one with them, you belong to the family. But then he says, I'm from a different background and I hope sometimes they would see things from my perspective. So this is the bad thing about it. So there's two sides to it. Discrimination means, no, no discrimination for Japanese companies means that everyone is radically treated equally. Bad side is that this means that th this point, his points are not being taken into consideration here. 
Um, actually, when we look at what inclusion is, um, there's different ways of thinking about it, but some researchers says it's one part is high belongingness. This is definitely what we see in Japanese corporations, right? They really promote high belongingness and say you belong to our company, you're part of the family. The other side, though, is inclusion also means a high value and uniqueness. So inclusion, in the end, is individuals treated as an insider and also allowed and encouraged to retrain uniqueness within the group. And I think this is where really Japanese companies are still lacking. You would basically put them into the assimilation quadrant at the moment. And I think this is also right. If they integrate very well in all aspects, then they, this is still what's happening here. So uniqueness is not emphasized. Um, and I think from this, it's really the importance of learning teamwork, proper and in Japanese context, effective communication. You have to say that, right? In Japanese context, this communication is actually effective. Developing personal relationships, this is what's really important for a young employee, not the sales figures. This is what he's judged on for the first couple of years, not what he actually achieves in the workplace. And I would say this is very difficult for foreign employees to achieve, even if their Japanese is very good. We interviewed some, their Japanese was really very good, but they still stay, we struggled here. So I think this again, this, this sort of shows uh, what, what, is, what is going on. And we have a quick quote for you here too. Um, when you enter the company, you're like a baby, you will be forgiven for any stuff you do. But from year on to onwards, you actually have to train young employees. And I think as a foreigner, training young Japanese employees in all this, this is really difficult, right? Um, so, and this is what they are expected from year two onwards, to become a senior, to perform all the tasks that a senior has to perform. And then I think things get really interesting, and therefore I think it would be really interesting to see what is this relationship. For example, if you have a Japan, non-Japanese superior, and this will happen in a company, and a Japanese junior. So we really need those studies that look at the relationship between in the company in the future. Um, basically, that's what I, all I wanted to say. I think future research, as we I still see this relatively short employment tenure, also in your survey. Um, and here this will be really deciding how people think about it in the future. Um, I think we need the comparative research. When we think about the role of foreign employees in the company, I really, some, there really came up some questions, how are Japanese employees treated? How do they compete? Don't they just compete at all? Are they satisfied with everything? No, they are not, right? And then this effect of diversity. Is, and then there's all these different factors. I don't really want to go through all of them that came up as also deciding how well employees do in the companies. For example, if we go to a company that's based on some finance companies have very high sales norms, and also Japanese employees quit. They quit as frequently maybe as a, as a foreign employee. Because, and this is actually some of the more progressive companies here that fall, fall, fall into this group here. So this is basically all I want to say. And I think it's really important to advance your research in this area. Thank you. So, yeah, thank you very much, uh, Professor Sakiguchi, for this wonderful presentation. Thank you, uh, Professor Waldenberger, for the invitation to come here and comment uh, on this uh, wonderful uh, presentation. 
my own work is located in the fields of uh, language and international business. It's a whole stream of research that is now looking at language and what it can do uh, or can't do uh, in uh, an international business context. So here's, I, I like to work with a guiding quotation, and uh, some of you obviously know uh, this guy here, C-3PO from Star Wars. Uh, so he apparently is fluent in over six million forms of communication. Uh, the idea behind this, if you look at that figure per se, uh, is that it's a very mechanical understanding of what language does. Yeah? Uh, it's a very mechanical understanding that you actually are able to translate from one language to the other without any kind of communication loss. That is how language, that is how translation is being portrayed in the popular media. Uh, mind you, we could go into the semiotics, obviously, of this, of this robot uh, in terms of that he's uh, golden and comes with a number of connotations, but I do not want to go there uh, right now. Um, so, but... Sekiguchi's presentation uh, clearly showed us, and that is I, I what I really appreciated about the presentation. It's looking, uh, perhaps, at what do these changes do to the individual communicator. I think that is the real added value, I think, of, of your work and your stream of work that comes out of your university. Uh, so, so if you wish... Uh, there are three building blocks uh, Sekiguchi-san referred to here. A, uh, the reform to the Japanese multinational corporation, uh, moving away from this incremental adaptation to changes into, into the environment to more, they need to think about what does, it's a shock environment. How do they deal with these shocks that are being thrown at them uh, for the last uh, uh, 15 uh, 20 years perhaps, and they are also moving away from this, you know, uh, uh, HRM has been the core principle of Japanese competitiveness, hasn't it? Yeah? So, and again, we see a change here away from, you know, the mandra of cost, cost, cost cutting, uh, perhaps of the post-war period to be, uh, perhaps we need to think about speed, speed to that kind of changes, and perhaps also working uh, less hard and perhaps working more smart. So the other aspect he has been touching upon is this idea of a shrinking talent pool. Uh, uh, according to your paper, uh, you kindly sent me uh, that Japanese companies are moving to fine slicing their operations across the world. They need to have um, the creativity coming from the subsidiary as referred to from the external uh, internationalization of HRM and perhaps also increasing competition, particularly from Asia. Yeah? Uh, so, so, but your core, really, of what you've been doing and what I really appreciated was your focus on what does that all do uh, to, to the individual. So uh, what qualifies me, <laughs> perhaps, to talk about this, this topic? Uh, well, I have been working. I'm a German national. Um, I've been studying Japanese, but I've been working for 11 years in Britain. So, and I think... That's the first point I would like to point out, perhaps, to, to you. It's a very special case. It's a very different matter if you're working from international corporations such as Siemens or Rakuten that has been introducing English as a corporate lingua franca, and everybody now needs to adhere to it, or uh, you're working in an environment which is monolithically li monolingual, yeah? which apparently has been the case of, of your interviewees in terms of a Japanese company 
and outsiders coming to this company to speak and being forced to adhere to uh, Japanese uh, forms or rules of communication. So uh, perhaps that is my, my qualification. I have been there uh, for uh, 11 years in Britain, and I have been facing that kind of changes. So you could argue, yes, uh, my English is all right. Yeah, I can communicate quite well. But the subtleties of communication, and I think that was uh, what Henrik what was referring to, you, you can be really, really good in Japanese. You can be really, really good at, at, at in, in English, uh, but actually be able to be um, verhandlungssicher, uh, uh, be able, <laughs> see, here we are, uh, uh, so, so be able to really speak out that uh, uh, native speaker or near fluency of a native speaker is almost impossible to read between the lines. Well, you said it's something about the Japanese language, but I can guarantee you uh, it is the same as true for speaking in English. Yeah? Uh, because, uh, as was pointed out, perhaps as a younger generation, if you interview these people, that, that may not be that a problem. They not, may not be able to pick these problems up. Um, they maybe even be well progressing on the career, as you do if you're young. Uh, but once you reach a certain you know, level of your career, uh, I think things will be dramatically different. And I'd like to see, perhaps, um, uh, your data, uh, into the, the, the age variable. It will be quite different, I presume, because the more you progress in your, in your, in your career, the more important language becomes uh, as a tool to progress. Yeah, I think that's, for me, quite clear. Um, what does that do to these foreign employees working for a Japanese firm? So, yes, I already answered that. I think, why should we all care? Well, because language is an important aspect of international business. So my questions, perhaps, to you, and what I was, uh, if I may criticize uh, or, or likely point into some direction that I, I'm, I, I would like to look at in, in, in the future, perhaps, um, so I'm working a lot on language and stigmatization, discrimination, and there was really no definition of what discrimination actually is. Yeah? Uh, that's, that, that's something we need to consider. Uh, and perhaps more specifically, I refer to it as sociolinguistic discrimination. Yeah? Not only speaking the language, but also not having only the fluency in, in, in whatever language, in corporate language you are asked to speak, but also uh, the behavior that comes with that language switch from one language to the other. And we all know if you speak two languages, um, your behavior is likely to switch. So it's all reading between the lines, yeah, reading the air. But that, again, is nothing Japanese-specific. It's also you have that in any kind of language. Okay. Uh, the second question, so is that a source of, of discrimination? We need to have that def uh, de definition, if you wish. And the other aspect, you slightly just touched upon it. I strongly believe um, that it is an interactive issue. You, you, you currently just looked, or in that research at least, you just looked at the perspective of the, I would call them the stigmatized, yeah? if, if, or the discriminated. Uh, but what happens to the other side? And you just slightly touched upon, and I think um, we should, I would like to learn more about what does this mean for the native speaker if somebody from a non-native speaker comes to you? It may come with empathy. It could, it could be that, at least in the, in the beginning. But it's a zero-sum game. Yeah? If somebody comes in, 
perhaps somebody else, he's, he's threatening my, my job at a specific time. So what does that do? We all of a sudden have a language and power relations thrown into, into the mix. And perhaps finally, um, the overarching question, uh, perhaps, um, and I don't know how much time I have left, uh, is, say again? One minute, okay. So uh, I, I go quickly. So uh, again, the issue of language. So why? So I'm, I, I know I speak to the converted because you know you're you are here. You're interested in language. You're interested in diversity. But the majority of business people do have that rather mechanistic view of language. And I think, uh, why do we repeatedly fail to anticipate the impact of language on any kind of cross-cultural uh, 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 activities? Uh, I'm going to skip the next slide, uh, but I'm going just to show you uh, um, my thinking of where we could be looking, uh, taking things forward. Uh, this goes back to the 1960s, uh, and it is looking at what discrimination could actually be. So he, Goffman's work is very influential in that direction. So a stigma or language stigma, we need to think about what that actually is of the situation of the individual who is disqualified from full social acceptance. And I think that hits the nail when we talk about languages. Well, there are different types of discrimination or different types of stigmatization. Uh, well, it could be physical abominations, uh, deformities, these kind of things. That may not be true for languages. Character blemishes, uh, obesity, Yes, we do. I, actually, I would argue, yes, we do have some imputations of imperfections if somebody does not speak our, our, mother, our, our mother tongue. Automatically, even in our own mother tongue, if somebody is writing me an email in German, like a student perhaps, uh, with loads of spelling mistakes, I make imputations about you know, his ability to communicate. Okay? Uh, and perhaps, well, uh, uh, Hendrik was referring to LGBT, uh, well, tribal identities. Where, where do you belong to as a native or non-native speaker? Okay? Uh, so I think we are all in the game. That's just, we are human. We are discerning uh, and labeling human variations. That's what we do. And perhaps language is an important uh, factor of just that. There's a virtual or an actual identity of how things should be done in your mother tongue. And, how, and that's perhaps the thing we need to think about the native speaker. There is, this is how things are done here. That, that's the kind of thing. And to what extent our non-native speakers diverge or the actual identity of, of these people. So that's the gap, isn't it? That's where the discrimination could be coming from. And we make a number of imputation of wide-ranging imperfections based on that gap. Yeah? Okay. Uh, perhaps that's, I don't have more time. We just have 20 minutes perhaps for discussion. Now. I'm closing here. Thank you very much for this presentation. I think um, it's, it's very worthwhile to take things forward from here. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.